We've been talking about the parables of Jesus. Today, I think we have one that's quite appropriate given everything that's been happening. But the parables of Jesus, we've called this shift as Jesus helps us shift from a perspective that is entrenched in the way things are, or at least the way we think things are, to kind of pull the curtain back and make a shift to see things the way God intends them to be, to see a place where thy kingdom came, thy will is done, right? Where God's will is done, where God's reign is, is perfect, right? But as he does this, he encounters a people who are, like us, very jaded, very used to seeing things the way they're not supposed to be. And so he has to, to kind of shock us into this new reality, to be able to imagine the world as it is supposed to be and one day will be. And so that's what's going on in these parables. Now, one of the problems that we've seen as we work through the parables is it was quite possible to hear Jesus without really hearing Jesus. It was quite possible for people to sit at his feet and hear these stories and hear these teachings of Jesus and not really in their heart hear, right? And so sometimes we've seen Jesus will just come out and say it flatly in a declarative affirmations. This is the way it is. This is the way you are to live. And sometimes he comes at it indirectly by using the stories. So here, here are some of the things he says that you, you've heard these teachings that the New Testament calls us to. One is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. Jesus just announces the way the kingdom of God works. He says this. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, you may have heard that so many times that you don't hear it anymore. Love your dog, your best friend, your bestie. Love your coworker. How about love your enemies? And pray for those who long to do ill to you. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear. Then in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28, Jesus says, check this one out. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Paul, thinking of the implications of the cross, says in Colossians 3 verse 13, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then... Jesus, in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says this, just comes out and says it. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this all men will know that you are disciples, if you love one another. So most folks, let's be honest here this morning, most folks hear these kinds of declarations of Jesus, these kinds of declarations of the Lord, and most folks kind of respond with, how nice, what beautiful words, isn't that lovely, wouldn't that look look great cross-stitched and put up in our hallway, just beautiful, just beautiful, the stuff that you would find in a greeting card perhaps, and so they're hearing, but they're not really hearing, Love your enemies? Do good to those who hate you? Forgive as you have been forgiven? Pray for those who are out there trying to get you? Do we hear that? It's hard to hear. And so Jesus used these stories. He used these these parables. And he used these to bring us into a world where the heart of God reigns. And he used, he used these stories kind of like defib- defibrillator paddles. Can't even say that. Defibrillator paddles to shock cold, hard hearts back to life. He used these stories to, to jar us, send the electrical pulse of the Spirit through our hearts to, to awaken us to a different world. A world where love really does conquer all. A world where where God and mercy and justice and forgiveness reign. A world where we are called to live as we were always intended to live. Matthew 18. As Brother Hearn shared with us this morning in that reading, familiar passage... Matthew chapter 18, Peter has this question for Jesus. Verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Up to seven times. So the question is this, how many times? Um, How many times are we supposed to forgive? Peter had noticed something about, about Jesus' teaching It was above and beyond the teaching that he was hearing in other places, right? I mean, Jesus was going above and beyond what other rabbis had been teaching. For example, no doubt, Peter was familiar with... with, um, Peter was familiar with with a rabbi who said that you should forgive Ben Yehuda, you should forgive three times and only three times. And the fourth time, you should not forgive. Another first century rabbi named Hanini, Ben Hanini, said the same thing. Said, you should forgive three times and no more than three times. So, so Peter is certainly going beyond that. But here's the kind of world that we live in. And Peter's world wasn't that different, I suppose, especially given the question he asks. You may have heard the story of the truck driver who who was driving late into the night, was in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, pulled into one of these all-night truck stops. Maybe it was a Flying J truck stop. My dad loves the Flying J truck stops. I'm telling you. 
I mean, I would think when you're on vacation, you're taking the road trip, you're hundreds of miles from home, thousands of miles from home, you would look for that really special restaurant. Dad is always looking for the Flying J because they have great soup, all right? So maybe it was a Flying J truck stop. But, but this night, late, late, all night truck stop, he pulls in to get a late dinner. He goes in, he, he, he shuts down his rig out in the parking lot. He sits down and he is beginning to enjoy his meal when these three biker-looking dudes, mean-looking guys, leather jackets, real rough guys, they come up to the counter, and I guess they're bored because they just decide they're going to have some fun with this guy. And so they just start calling him names and taunting him, and and you can imagine the sorts of names they're calling him. They're, They're not the kind I can share with you this morning, but they're not being very nice. And then one of them begins to drink the Coke that the guy has there that he ordered. One of them starts eating the guy's french fries, but the guy never says a word. He just sits there, and he just kind of takes it. Eventually, he pays his bill. He walks out into the night, and that poor waitress feels so sorry for him. She, After a couple of minutes, she goes out to try to find him and apologize for the experience he had there at the truck stop. By the time she gets there, though, she can only see the taillights of his rig as it pulls back onto the highway. She goes back inside, and those three men, one of them makes a comment to her and says, that guy isn't much of a man, is he? And the waitress said, I don't know about that, but I can tell you he's not much of a driver. On the way to the parking lot, he ran over and smashed three motorcycles. (laughs) Guy can't drive a lick. I mean, we live in this world that gets that. Yeah! Woo! Justice done! I mean, we, we live in this world that understands revenge. In fact, practically every action movie you have ever seen is based on that. Somebody did me wrong, and now I'm going to go wipe out them and everybody that works with them. That's pretty much every action movie you can, you can imagine. So, so when Peter is thinking of what Jesus is teaching, all this turn the other cheek and all of this forgiveness business, he wants to know, how far do I take it? What are the limits? Let, let's get some definition here. Let's get some clarity on just how far you want me to go. The rabbis say... And everybody agrees that we're going to be magnanimous and to be a forgiving people. It's three times, not four. So how many times, Jesus, should I forgive? Well, we're going to watch a short video that will help us begin to answer that question. We'll begin to awaken our hearts this morning.
So Emmanuel had taken everything she loved. Did he deserve to be forgiven? That's usually where we start. Does this person deserve to be forgiven? That's the world Peter was used to. That's the world we're used to. So Jesus, how far? I mean, seriously, come on. What's the limit? And Jesus, you remember the answer. Verse 22, Jesus answered Peter's question. I tell you, Peter, not seven times, because Jesus had... Peter had taken the rabbi's teaching, had doubled it, and thrown on one for good measure. How about I forgive seven times, being super generous there? Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, your translation might say 70 times seven. Guess what? Doesn't matter doesn't matter at all. Whether you're talking 70 times or 490 times, the point is pretty obvious. If you're keeping score, you don't have the heart of God. It's not like the 71st time, whoa, don't have to forgive anymore. Or 490 times, yes, you're okay. 491, no, forgiveness has run out. I mean, the point is, if you are keeping score and we keep score according to the rules of this world, then you're off. And so Jesus has to find a way to get below the surface and speak to our hearts because when Jesus tells us to forgive, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies, we have this tendency to kind of pat him on the head and say, beautiful words. So Jesus takes these, these paddles, puts them on our heart, jolts, yells, clear. And here goes his story. In Matthew chapter 18, it goes something like this. There was a very wealthy man. And you know how people come to wealthy people. Maybe the wealthy uncle or the wealthy neighbor or the wealthy person at church. And they're always borrowing money. Or something else. Hey, man, you have a few bucks. Hey, man, could you help me with this? I mean, so people, a lot of people owe this guy money. And there came a day when he figured, look, it's time to clear the books. Get everything straight. Get all the accounting in order. Let's get all of the money back that's owed us or get as much of it as we can. 
And so he begins calling in the people who owe him money. And we have the story of this fellow that comes into the rich man's courtyard, comes into his spacious office. The rich man is there sitting at his, I'm imagining at least in today's standard, it would be probably some big, beautiful desk with a couple advisors nearby. And he comes before this rich man and his shoulders are slumped and he is just kind of shuffling in the room because he knows he has no ability to pay this man back. And the rich man says, need my money. It's past due. I need my money. He is owed, according to Jesus, 10,000 talents of silver. We'll get into how much that is here in a minute, but 10,000, a lot of money. Owed 10,000 talents of silver. And so... Really, the rich man and probably one or two of his advisors are kind of whispering amongst themselves, look, this guy has this house. He's got a couple of donkeys, a goat or two. Um, We can sell those off, liquidate those. Um, Also, in that world, his people belonged, could be bought and sold as well. So he has a young wife. She's strong. We'll sell her at the slave market, got a few kids. Um, We can sell them, get a few bucks at the slave market as well. And then we will throw him in jail. Um, Probably never going to be able to pay this debt off. In fact, will not be able to pay this debt off, but maybe some of his relatives will kick in some money and, and we'll see how much we can get. And the poor guy just, you know, falls in the story. He falls to his knees. He is sobbing. He is begging Please no, please no. Be patient. I'll pay you back everything I owe. I'll pay it all back. Which, by the way, we missed this. This is the punchline to a joke. It's a great joke. It really is. Let me explain this joke. Why everybody, Jesus has to pause here for the laughter to kind of die down. This is a good one. This is a real knee slapper. I mean, here, here we have a guy who owes 10,000 talents of silver. Let's put this into perspective. At the height of the Roman Empire, when it was at its biggest and baddest, the annual revenue that the empire took in annually from taxation of all of the countries they ruled, annual revenue was 35,000 talents of silver. Right? And this guy owes a third This poor guy owes a third of all of the revenue the Roman Empire would have been taking in each year. So I think now, 2011, thinking in our context here in America, it's like um, 2011 tax revenue was like $2.3 trillion, right? So this would be like the guy owes, in today's terms, $760 billion. See how it's funny? Give me a little more time and I'll pay it back. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. A little more time and you'll, you'll be able to pay all those 760 billions back. So after the laughter dies down, Jesus says, you know what the rich man did? He said, get out of here. Your debt's forgiven. You don't need to pay me anything. That's what he said. And so he shows us a little bit of of the father's heart. The, the poor guy 
you know, you would imagine him leaving that room just kind of floating above the floor. He is free. And he is overjoyed with relief. Hallelujah. I've been forgiven this massive debt that I could never have paid back. That's the way we think he should leave, but really he doesn't in the story Jesus tells. In fact, as soon as he gets out of the rich guy's office and he's there in the courtyard, I mean, he worked for this guy. He saw co-workers all around. He sees a guy over there, let's call him Fred. He sees Fred over there and he remembers, Fred owes me some money. And so he walks right up to Fred, doesn't shake his hand, doesn't give him a, a hug or a shalom. Instead, Jesus says, he grabs this guy by the neck and starts shaking him. And he says, I want my money back. Now! And then maybe this sounds a little bit familiar. Fred falls to his knees. And Fred says, I can't pay it back. Be patient with me. It's a hundred denarii. It's a few bucks. Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But the guy who was forgiven much says, no way. And has him sent to prison. Well, some of their pals, some of their co-workers were watching this and saying, hang on a second. Didn't he just get forgiven 10,000 talents? And now he wants a little pocket change and he's demanding it? And so they go and tell the master. The master calls him back in and says, you know what? Changed my mind. You're going to jail. You're going to jail until I get all of my 10,000 talents back. And Jesus says this. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Forgive your brother from your heart. This last statement is about as serious as you can get. I mean, wow. I mean, this is such a big deal to Jesus. This is such a big deal to God. You have to forgive your brother. You just have to. I mean, you can't receive all of the 10,000 talents, the billions in forgiveness that God has given you and then demand your 15 bucks from your friend. Jesus says, that's not the way it works, guys. And I wonder, as I thought about this this week, as I'm thinking about this, I wonder if there is a connection between this parable, between this teaching of Jesus and this phrase from the book of Malachi, you remember this phrase where, it's simple, where, where God simply says, I hate divorce. Go with me on this for a second. I hate divorce. Could these two things be connected? I mean, Malachi reveals to us, God is saying, I detest when my sons and daughters give themselves to each other in a marriage covenant and then it gets hard and, and they have too much held against one another and they quit. God says, 
I hate that. And there aren't very many times in the Bible we have the word of God having God say, I hate something. Well, he hates divorce. He loathes divorce. If you want to do something that God absolutely hates, lawyer up, get a divorce. But I'm not here to make you feel bad if you've been through a divorce. I'm here to raise this question. What would something like this have to do with this parable that Jesus has just told me? Well, maybe it's this audacity that says something like this. Well, look, my marriage is rough. It's really hard right now. I know God hates divorce, but I'll get a divorce and then God will forgive us. God will forgive me. Think about the audacity of that kind of thinking. It is this audacity that says, so God will forgive me, I will not forgive you. God forgives me, I simply won't forgive you. I have received His $760 billion in forgiveness, <laughs> I'm not about to forgive her or forgive him. And I think marriage is a great place to start because of this. It is the one and only covenant that I make with another person. I have lots of relationships. I have family relationships, work relationships, friendship relationships, but I have one covenant relationship outside of my relationship with God, and that is my relationship with the man or woman that you have chosen to be your spouse, all right? And so I think that's a great place to start because, because obviously Jesus wants for this forgiveness to flow into all of my relationships. And if it's not flowing in the covenant relationship, well, you do the math on that. So in this parable, as in other parables, Jesus is trying to shock our hearts. I mean, he is trying to get us to see how God sees things. I mean, even though you and I have been unfaithful to God, we have been unfaithful. We have known what his will is for us. We have known what is good and right in God's eyes. And still, we have sinned by saying the wrong things, by doing the wrong things, by thinking the wrong things over and over and then, the other side of the coin, we have sinned by not doing the right thing. Not saying the right thing, not doing the right thing, not thinking the right thing. $760 billion in sin. And the ticker keeps ticking. The debt clock keeps moving on. And God has forgiven us. Amen? God has forgiven us. So many places in the Scripture, God affirms this. One of my favorites is in the book of Psalms. It's in the 103rd Psalm. Listen to these inspired words. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, 
to those who fear him. And I love this last part. For he knows that we are weak. Some of the translations he say that we are dust. He knows that we are weak. He remembers we are only dust. God knows how weak you are. God knows everything you've ever thought, ever said, ever done that is a violation of his will. He knows it. He knows how you struggle. And still, and perhaps because of that, he forgives your sins as far as east is from west. Again, if you're looking for a measurement between east and west, you're asking the wrong question. God knows our imperfections, knows our weaknesses, knows our failings, removes our sins from us. The disciple of Jesus is called to forgive as they have been forgiven. Is called to is called to use the measure that God has used to heap mercy on them. To heap mercy on others. I don't get to say, Lord, tell you what. Bible study, yes. Tithing, sure. Church attendance, you bet. Forgiveness, eh, I don't think so. It's not optional. Jesus says, unless you forgive your brother, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, now, in the video that we saw, we saw the story of Emmanuel, a Rwanda who had blood on his hands, literally, from the genocide, from the massacre that went on in 1994 in his country. We saw him face to face with a mother and a wife from whom he had taken everything. And we saw him experiencing the forgiveness of God and this, it's the forgiveness of her. This time of year, this December, Advent, Christmas time of year, is a time when we remember another Emmanuel. A very different Emmanuel. Jesus had no blood on His hands. He had never sinned. And yet, He gave Himself up as a sacrifice for you and me so that our sins could be removed as far as the east is from the west. And Christmas time is the time of year when so many remember this. When so many think of this, perhaps they haven't thought of it the entire year, but the thought at least creeps in this time of year. This story of how God came down and became Emmanuel, which means God with us, came into this dark world full of lying, cheating, unfaithfulness, elementary school massacres, He came in. God with us. So that we could be forgiven. And so, if you're His disciple this morning, so you can join Him, follow Him, 
in this movement of reconciliation, forgiveness, and mercy. So that you can live differently from what you, saw, what you see on TV. Whether it's the news, whether it's your favorite reality show. So you can be different. 